Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Tonight on the Hinckley Report, with the passing of Senator Orrin Hatch, our panel reflects on his influence on the nation and landmark legislation he sponsored. After Raqqa's state party conventions conclude, winners gear up for the primary election. And Democrats make an unprecedented move to back independent Senate candidate Evan McMullen. Good evening. And welcome to The Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Dennis Romboy, reporter and editor with the Deseret News, Michelle Quist, columnist with the Salt Lake Tribune, and Frank Piganelli, political commentator and lobbyist with Foxley and Piganelli. We're so glad to have you with us this evening as we talk about things on the national level, the state level, because a lot happened in the political world uh, this past week. Dennis, I want to start with you, though, uh, because we will be thinking about Senator Orrin Hatch in the state of Utah this next week. We now know he'll be lying in state in the Utah State Capitol building uh, this next week with the funeral on Friday. Let's talk for just a moment about his legacy in the state of Utah in our country. He was a staunch conservative, obviously, but he was someone that was willing to kind of reach across the aisle and work with Democrats, Ted Kennedy in particular, on some significant legislation, American with, Americans with Disabilities Act, um, the uh, Children's Health Insurance Program, those kinds of things. But he also served in an era when that was more okay than it is now. Um, you could be fierce competitors on the court and then go to dinner afterwards. Uh, we don't see that happen anymore. Republicans and Democrats seem to be more of enemies than they are uh, you know, trying to work together on legislation. Frank, I want to talk about a couple of those pieces of legislation, but first maybe a commentary on that from the other side of the aisle as well. This seems to be one of the hallmarks that people talk about with Senator Hatch's, his willingness to partner with both sides of the aisle on key pieces of legislation. Yeah, he was a real street fighter. He'd go in and he would, would duke it out, but he really treasured the relationships that he had with Democrats and Republicans, and that was his hallmark. And, and he was great at it because he never made it personal. And that, that's what I really uh, was fond of Lauren Hatch about. It's interesting how many lies he touched as a, as a U.S. Senator. For example, when I was in the legislature and I did the first hate crimes bill, I went to a piece of legislation sponsored by Lauren Hatch's language for that bill. The CHIP program was based upon something that was here developed in Utah. He impacted almost 100 million children over the years because of that program. He, he really had an impact on the Supreme Court, both on the left and on the right, because he was, Ginsburg was his idea. So even though people from the left and the right are attacking him, even, even in, after his death, he, because of his ability to work with both sides of the aisle, he was, it was really impactful. But I'm gonna say this about Orrin Hatch. It, it, we, all, we, all, we all knew Orrin, and he would stand up and talk about the people he knew. And he knew a lot of famous people, interacted with a lot of powerful people. But I watched on Main Street of Salt Lake City, I watched at the airport, people without any power, without any influence, would walk up and talk to him, and he gave them unbelievable kindness and respect. And that, to me, is the hallmark of his character. Mm -hmm. Well, and, um, you know, 
Senator Hatch was a staunch conservative, <laughs> but he also had an evolution within his career, right? Like he started, uh, he ran for Senate here in Utah against then Democrat Sen Senator Moss, Frank Moss, and he, you know, over, he beat Moss and he came in as a Republican, um, but he evolved. He he. He passed these, you know, liberal um, legislation, American with Disabilities Act, CHIP, um, and then when you know he saw Senator Bennett kind of get get booted at convention, he moved again to the far right to make sure that he uh, won in 2012, and he did. He bought 100,000 delegates at convention and and uh, made sure that he won for his last term. Um, but again, he then uh, supported Senator Romney, who. Who was much more liberal than he was at the end of his career, and so you know his legacy kind of uh, you know goes up and down on this um, you know the the conservative liberal uh, framework. You always seem to see what was on his mind too. Um, I recall recently or a few years ago when he talked about the America uh, the Affordable Care Act. He called it a stupid, dummy idea, and people that supported our stupid dummies, right? So the next day, um, he kind of tried to walk that back and apologize to my friends across the aisle for, for saying that. I, I didn't mean to, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, but he, he said what was on his mind. Well, and at, by the end of his career in Utah, there were, there were so many um, adults <laughs> who had been interned for him as, you know, early college students. Yeah. You know, I served, you know, I was a, a tax fellow with him when I was in college. And, you know, then 20 years later, I'm, I'm you know, Talking to him as a as a delegate, and uh, he, like uh, you know, like was said, he just touched so many lives because his career spanned for such a long period of time. Uh, before I leave, I'm going to ask you one more question, uh, Frank. But to your point about the interns, I think we even looked at the Hinckley Institute of Politics. It was over five percent of every intern we sent out in 42 years were in that office. Very interesting in that respect. But just one commentary since you brought it up, Frank. Uh, significant influence on the United States Supreme Court. In fact, there was a period of time there where I think every member of the Supreme Court was vetted by him to some extent. Yeah, you look, at, for example, a lot of people have uh, support or don't like Clarence Thomas, but he's the one that worked with Biden to get to get Clarence Thomas through. And like I said, he's the one that reached out and to the President Clinton and said, I don't know if we can, you know, you get some of your picks through, but we can get, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg in and we can get Breyer in. So he really formulated that. He took great pride in his impact upon the Supreme Court. And what's come out is apparently he was going to be Reagan's pick, but because he had voted for a pay raise for the Supreme Court that same year, he couldn't, he couldn't be picked to be Supreme Court, but he really cared about that Judiciary Committee and the Supreme Court, and so we're still living with that influence today, which is remarkable. Mm -hmm. Let's switch gears for just a moment. Wow, what a big weekend for our conventions in the state of Utah. The Republicans and Democrats both held their conventions, and there's just so much to unpack there. Let's start with the Republican uh, convention, Dennis, for a moment. Uh, first, give it, you, were, you were covering, I know, um, a sense of kind of the feeling there going into it. Well, I think the tone was set right after the opening prayer when amen was said and then let's go Brandon and there was a big cheer throughout That's the whole true. convention hall. I um, mean, it kind of went from there. Um, we saw, uh, I can think really I took a far right tone in, in most of uh, the things that were presented by some of the candidates, the reactions by the delegates, yeah. uh, booing Mitt Romney again, booing Spencer Cox, booing Deidre Henderson, you mm -hmm. know. Um, 
uh, it, that's kind of the tone of the, of the, whole, uh -huh. the whole meeting. Yeah, it's so interesting. Michelle, talk about it for a moment, because you had to go through this this gauntlet before as well. So what's interesting we're talking about, there were some boos from some of our high, you know, high elected officials, and you even have the, the party chair, Carson Jorgensen, maybe not completely aligned with some of these people either. Yeah, I don't think anybody expected anything but a, uh, a far-right presence at the convention. Um, it's, it's hard to have a representative body there when you have caucus meetings that have five people from your neighborhood, right? So you have five people show up, they choose themselves to go and be the delegates. They have um, a, a predetermined, um, you know, agenda that, that they're trying to uh, formulate within the party. And um, the, the convention played out just as it, as it expected when people know that the candidates will be on the ballot anyway because of signatures. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's just changed. The, the convention, the caucus convention system is, is not relevant because of this, you know, the path, the signature path. And um, I think Utahns are uh, glad for that because, because they see these conventions as not representative of them. And, and, and the, you know, they're, they're, the conventions have uh, elect as in first place, people that come out that aren't then elected in the mm -hmm. in the primaries. Mm -hmm. Can I follow this thread for a second, as you, Frank, as you observed the Republican side? We'll get to the Democrats in just a moment. Um, is there a ramification if someone decides to get the signatures or not? We talked about it on the show. Do delegates hate it? Do they not? Or is it just, just depend on who the candidate is? Well, they all say that the, the, the delegates say they hate it, but yet they passed on to a lot of people who did get yeah. signatures. You know, in your program last week, you and your guests all talked about the wonders of the convention and how there's a warm feeling. We get warm feelings at a rock concert, too. But they should be deciding who our elected officials are, nor should these conventions. Both conventions demonstrably proved they have no business deciding who our elected officials are because they're completely out of sync with reality. You had a chairman of the GOP who went on a national program attacking his highest profile Republicans and there was no ramifications. By the way, they didn't even show up to the convention. Then you had people, you know, with the goal of this whole process of uh, getting delegate support, but yet because they got signatures, it didn't make a difference anyway. And then you have the Democrats who didn't even nominate some for the U.S. Senate. So why have conventions? Let's just, <laughs> they want to get together and have a breakfast and mingle and talk and debate. Let them do that, but let's just move forward with signature gathering to where they get the primaries out to the people that care really about public policy. The, the, the yeah. delegates are always much more conservative than the rank and file Republicans at large, you know. And we've seen history is borne out. The, uh, the convention candidate usually has not gone on to win the election. We've seen that with John Curtis uh, a couple of times mm -hmm. and, and other candidates. Mitt Romney, too, was forced into a primary. Gary Herbert was forced into a primary a few years yeah. ago. Um, and, and those candidates who are conservative, a bit more moderate on that whole huge spectrum, they usually come out the winners in these, in these primaries. Mm -hmm. and, Let's talk about this just a moment, because there was a very high profile one. Uh, Michelle, let's start with you. Senator Mike Lee went in. So you had several challengers, and two of them, Ali Isom, Becky Edwards, both got signatures as well. Talk about what happened there, because Mike Lee, 70% uh, of the delegate votes, right. uh, uh, Becky Edwards is at 12%, Ali Isom at 10%. Right. Well, I think Becky Edwards showing was surprising. I don't think people expected her to, do, to get you know second place, to do as well as she did. But the fact that uh, Senator Lee did so well after this, uh, you know, a week 
prior of you know bad media around these um, texts that came out that that you know ha had him asking what what should I say and you know uh, help you know talking about the trying to overturn the election. Um, there's no ramification, right? It, it, the delegates just do not care about that. They um, they love Trump. They love <laughs> overturning elections, and uh, they he you know he came out with 70 percent. The only intrigue was how how loudly they were going to cheer him, you right. know, and they gave him a standing ovation when he took the stage. Yeah, I did get a standing ovation. No ramifications, Frank. No ramifications on signature gathering for him. No ramifications on the text. In fact, maybe the opposite. Right. And I think what's happened, even though a lot of people are concerned about that, I think what you're seeing is people are moving on, they're moving past the January 6th. That there was evidence in the convention. Although that's one of the reasons, apparently, why the Democrats wanted, wanted to take him out. But you don't see the Republicans. And, and what's happening also is that you had, you're going to have a three-way primary. And so those that are opposed to Lee are going to be split between two candidates. And so what I think also signals that, uh, and according to your poll, he's massively ahead inside, inside that type of contest, which also signifies a moving on. Yeah. So it's interesting, because since you're the one that brought up just a moment ago, too, it's interesting to see what will happen in that race, where the signature gathering process is what gave rise to three separate candidates for the primary on the Republican side. Yeah. And so you have, you do have Republicans that have some concerns with Lee, and they're dividing their forces between Ali Isom, you know, and Becky Edwards. And so, that, so Lee's going to come out of that primary, obviously, very strong uh, to face Evan McMullen. That 70% will go down at the primary election he won't get 70% of the vote but uh. well and and I think I think Ali Isom will will withdraw I, at least I think she should we'll talk about that a little bit because it didn't seem like it this week in fact no. she was calling on yeah. Becky Edwards to <laughs> she, step down. yeah she did call on Becky Edwards too even though she uh, you know consistently polls less than Becky um, but her her a recent video said you know no, no matter what happens so I you know, what whatever happens in, in this campaign so I think she's getting there I think that that was a last-ditch effort um, there's an understanding that you can't go in on a three rate three-way race. Plus, Republicans don't like, you know, that they want to know a clear winner. They, you know, this is this is the what's still being said about Governor Cox is that, well, he, you know, there was no mm -hmm. majority there because there were, were more than two people. And so I think that, um, I, you know, I think Allie cares about the race. I think she sees, you know, she, at least she believes that Senator Lee shouldn't, you know, shouldn't continue on as senator. And so I think she'll do what's good for the, for what's good for that race. Okay. We'll watch that one. Let's talk about some of these congressional races on the Republican side. Uh, let's break those down for a minute, Frank. So our first congressional district, Blake Moore, going to be in a primary. They all are, it turns out, going to be in a primary. Andrew Badger, 59 percent. Blake Moore, 41 percent. Which shows you that that's why you collect signatures, because <laughs> both he and John Curtis on the first round barely got past that 40 percent. And that's that's why you're going to see it will be political malpractice not for any candidate not to get signatures, because you had at some of these county conventions legislators who didn't collect signatures, and they thought they are going to be fine, and they got bumped off. And so if you don't collect signatures, you really are risking mortal death. Well, so, so the one who's thinking about that the most, of course, is Congressman Curtis, right? Michelle, talk about that for just a minute, because it was a calculated risk on his part. And and it was close in that first round. Well, it, I'm not sure it was calculated. It was it <laughs> okay. was definitely a okay. risk, but I'm not sure he really understood the extent that would happen at the caucus meeting and and the you know the the degree um, to the right that the de delegates would be. But yeah, he did not collect signatures. Um, he went into convention just expecting you know to win. And I mean, by the time he went into convention, he knew that 
that he was mm -hmm. in trouble, right, or that he could be in trouble. Um, he didn't. You know, he he got enough to, to get into a primary against Chris Herod, and he's going to win again, like he's won twice already. Mm -hmm. Curtis oh, has gathered signatures in the past, and it's kind of inexplicable why why he didn't do it this time. The reason why he was elected congressman is because Deidre Hensley didn't collect yeah, signatures. That's exactly so, right. But at the right. congressional district one with Blake Moore, that's interesting, mm -hmm. because <clears> the, there was some thought that some of the others get through, but this, this uh, Badger, he really really did well at the yeah. convention. And that's a three-way race too, because yeah. he had Tina Cannon collect right. signatures as well. And the district is different. He has different constituents. Yeah, it has changed. Now, he's well, now my congressman, and I live in Capitol Hill. <laughs> it has changed substantially, hasn't it? Dennis, but to your point, because I think we should bring this up on that third congressional district, this is the third time John Curtis will go up against Chris Herod. You go back to 2018, as you mentioned, Curtis at the primary won 73% to 27%. In 2017, there were three candidates, Curtis 43, Chris Herod 32. They've actually, this is actually their fourth race. They ran a, a house for a Utah House race. <laughs> That's true. There was a, a Utah House back. race. I think Curtis was a Democrat at the time, was, as, I, yeah. as I recall. Um, and apparently, uh, Curtis is moving uh, into a house near uh, Herod's neighborhood. Their kids have gone to prom together. Um, this has the makings of an interesting race, although Curtis has trounced him. Um, in the primary yeah, every his, time. His numbers, Herod's numbers just keep going down. Like they're not yeah. getting better, mm -hmm. it's getting worse. So uh, let, let's transition to some of the state races. You brought up the, our, some of our House races. Anything you saw at either of the conventions with our local elected officials, the House and Senate? For, for me, the most compelling one is you have two members of Republican leadership who are now going into a primary, and that's Evan Vickers, the Senate Majority Leader, then, and Ann Milner, who's the Senate, uh, Senate Majority Whip. That's a big deal. And uh, what it demonstrates is that even inside those those caucuses themselves, these legislators who really do a great job, they're facing this right wing opposition too. And of course, you've got primaries for the Democrats, some of the Democratic senators yes. also. So there's kind of this grumpiness on the part of, of kind of the act, the activists of both parties are going after their beloved incumbents. Yeah, Go I was really shopping. glad to see uh, Senator Dan that Thatcher. Um, when his everybody thought he he wouldn't, he supported the um, or he he didn't support the the trans bill that went through yeah. the legislature, and everyone thought he'd he'd be out. He's done, um, and he won. He I think he won by one yeah, vote. Yeah, by one vote. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so. No, so, so what do you make of that? Because people did think going in, he was one of two Republicans that voted against the override mm -hmm. uh, on the transgender sports bill. And people thought going into that, that might be something that would maybe tor torpedo his chances. Right. It, I mean, it, he usually wins by a little more than one right. vote. And, and I think it affected it affected the vote, but it's not the overarching yeah. uh, issue of the day. It can't, you know, the transgender rights isn't, um, it, it's noise and it's distraction for elections especially. Mm. And it's, it's a good talking point, but... For somebody like uh, Senator Thatcher with his record, people cared more about all the other things he's accomplished. Mm -hmm. Any other races, uh, local races you all are watching? What do you make of the fact we have so many of these legislative leaders that are in primaries? I mean, these are people that have become household names to some extent, and they've been challenged by names that people don't know so much. And I don't know the the philosophy of their, their opponents specifically. I assume that they're to the right of, of, of them. And I think that's just this overall uh, feeling now among a lot of Republicans that we, we don't want moderate candidates, we want, we want Trump candidates. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not sure where these particular candidates yeah. stand, but, but that's kind of the, the feeling, the overall feeling. Well, you're looking like Jerry Stevenson, beloved mm -hmm. mayor of Layton, and he's, he's facing a primary, he's probably gonna do fine, but they're putting, they're putting these really strong incumbents into these primaries. It's mm. the convention. The convention puts them there where, the, where Utah's public probably won't. 
mm -hmm. you know, or wouldn't have. What do you think about, uh, Michelle, just really quickly before I leave this, because we had some kind of high profile endorsements as of late. Roger Stone. Roger Stone was one, <clears throat> uh, even Donald Trump. Yeah. Another one. Um, I mean, they, they speak to that, that wing of the party that was at convention. I don't think they speak to Utahns in general. Mm -hmm. Mike, Lee was, Mike Lee was endorsed by Donald Trump, right. but he hasn't made any noise about it at all. I, I'm, he hasn't downplayed it, but he hasn't said anything about it whatsoever. And the Roger Stone endorsement, he did, did not get out of convention. So uh -huh. sanity, true. there were parts of sanity in these conventions. The Roger okay. Stone endorsed Lee at the convention as well. Yeah. So, uh -huh. so uh, let's talk about the Democratic convention for just a moment, because what happened there was unprecedented. Uh, Frank, you know we're going to start with you on this. It makes no sense because uh, the, apparently the strategy is well we don't we can't come up with a candidate to defeat Lee so we're going to endorse this independent. Not once. I, you know, in fact, I can't find a human that can tell me why they why Democrats should support McMullen, other than they want to get rid of Mike Lee. And so are you telling me that you're, is, is the next time around is a moderate Democrat? who may not align with some of the special interest groups, are they going to give the same pass as they gave to Evan McMullen? Because even though Evan McMullen was not nominated, it was clearly, because I'm already getting emails and things like that from high-profile Democrats fundraising with McMullen. The other, the other piece about the Democrats and Republicans, and even independent state need to worry about, McMullen has said he's not going to caucus with the Republicans or the Democrats, which means he is just going to show up on, in January and not be part of any of the structure, which means he won't get a committee assignment, or if it is, it's a pork committee assignment. So it's either being, being, being naive or being disingenuous, like he's going to plot. He's trying to weave getting both Democrat and Republican support by saying, I'm not going to caucus with the other. But that's not fair to the to either side. It's not fair to Utah, because we need to know that, that whoever we send back to Utah, excuse me, back to Congress, is going to be fighting for us, not playing these political games. Utah Democrats can say they didn't nominate anybody, but they nominate. You can parse words all you want, but Evan McMillan went to one convention on Saturday. It was the Dem convention. And Evan McMillan is the only one who came out of the Democratic convention on Saturday. Um, he's their nominee. And, you know, like Frank says, he doesn't stand for their principles. I don't know what he stands for um, other than getting elected uh -huh. to federal office from Utah. Yeah, so, so Dennis, talk, I want to give the numbers here. So the vote was it was a motion that came forward led by Ben McAdams, Jenny Wilson, some Democrats in the state, and it was shall we have no candidate. And the vote was Democrats 57%, no candidate, uh, over 43% for Kel Weston, who was the Democrat that wanted to represent them. So talk about that just for a moment because uh, Kel Weston has had some things to say about it. Yeah, and I, I think that was a surprising number, 57 to 43. That, that's substantial, I think. Uh, Kel Weston, um, his argument all along is we need to have a Democrat in this race to have a marketplace of ideas where we can debate things and, and have that opportunity and not just cut uh, uh, Democrats out. He thought that was disrespectful to the party and, and to the voters specifically, that they don't have that option anymore mm -hmm. to choose a Democrat in this race. Okay, so so Frank, answer this, because both Michelle and, and Dennis have an interesting observation about whose candidate is Evan McMullen then as well, because in the op-ed that Kel Weston wrote, uh, he sort of indicated that he would support Becky Edwards if it was up to him. He said, that I, uh, I will uh, go along with this, but I don't agree with what happened necessarily. So for Democrats in the state. Yeah, so I, right, he only went to one convention, but I think it's hard to claim that he's a Democrat because some of the things he's talked about in the past don't necessarily align with some of the traditional... Yeah, I don't think he's a Democrat. I just think he's their nominee. Yeah, he, yeah well, they're, they're going to be pushing for But see, there's, there's significant ramifications from this because when you are at the top of the ticket of a particular party, you have you know the get-out-the-vote efforts and things like 
that. You have some national organizations putting money in, even if they don't think you're going to win. None of that's going to be happening. And so what the Democrats have done is they basically have signed a, you know, like a, really an execution order on many of their down-ballot candidates because they're not going to have the support. So now these congressional candidates, they're going to be trying to do their best, and also their legislative candidates without some of the top of the ticket that's trying to push get out the vote. So there are serious ramifications for this. None of that was considered. It's because they so badly want to get rid of Lee that they're willing to, to do this. And, and, and again, there was no discussion of how Big Mullen supports any their principles or things like that. You go on the website, it really doesn't say anything. So it really is an interesting confession of maybe our ideology is not working and so we're willing to play this political game to get just to make some type of advance so they can claim victory. I'd be curious to know, Frank, where, where do you think core hardcore Democrats are going to go in this race? What, what are they going to do? Are they going to even turn out or what, what are they going to do? That, without some of the top of the ticket, they may not turn out unless you've got a, a legislator that's really pushing hard in a tough race. They may turn out for that. It may turn out for a congressional. So what you may see, even though it's about 30 percent of the vote in a statewide race, those numbers may go down. And that's something that Evan McMullen. So he may have to go excite the Democratic base, but if you go excite the Democratic base, that's going to turn off the Republican base. So I, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to watch how this all plays out. So Michelle, this is so interesting how we see this going forward. I, I had the fortune to speak to this great group of PBS supporters last night, and the, the conversation was a little bit about what motivates people to show up. If they showing up for a person, are they showing up as opposed to a person? Sometimes, what's the better better motivator? Uh, my anti vote or my support vote? The, the better motivator is always the support vote. You know, who is, um, you know, who do you believe in? Why, you know, why it, it's the, the person is the face of, you know, the principles that they want to actively support. It's um, the anti, it, it's like kind of the negative, you know, the, the negative campaigns. Like you see it and sometimes it works, but it doesn't hit you. It doesn't motivate you to do anything. Um, they need somebody, they need a, a, a person to, to say, you know, believe in me. Mm -hmm. We can do this together. And I don't think they have that here. There's okay. going to be an anti-effort. It's going to, you know, you look at the polls and there, it looks like the Republicans are going to do well because you have enthusiasm amongst the Republicans because they want to vote against Biden. They want to vote against congressional Democrats. So they're going to be coming out. There's nothing to push back against that. Uh -huh. That all yeah, said, there might be a pass for Evan McMullen from our latest poll. Um, Mike Lee had under 50 percent. Um, there's a quarter of the voters that hadn't decided mm -hmm. yet. Uh, you have 10, 11 percent for Weston. Where, where are they going to go? Yeah. Um, so th there, there, there is a path conceivably. If he wins the primary. If he, well, okay. I mean, who knows what could come out between now and then? Right. Yeah. But if, I think if, at some <laughs> point, uh, Evan Wilson going to define himself. He can't just be the non-Mike Lee. He's going to have to find who he is and what he believes in. Yeah, how do, how do they start defining their territory there? Because it sounds like that's something Evan McMullen's going to be trying to do. Well, so far, his, he's marked his territory by being anti-Mike Lee and, and really hammering Lee on, on the text messages and everything else. That, so far, has been his message. So I think Frank's right. He's going to have to evolve as a candidate and, and have a message that he's trying to, pr to promote. Well, and before that, it was anti-Trump. Like, yeah. he is the anti. You know, I'm, I'm anti this person. That's really great. But what do you stand for and why should I vote for you? And, and he's not going to be able to um, describe that because he's, he has no master. Mm -hmm. He's trying to serve too many. Yeah. Well, this is going to be such an interesting race for us to watch. And there's a lot going to happen between now and the, the primary. And then all the way into November, it's going to be so interesting. Great insights this evening. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.